Hello everyone, welcome to the Yukon Internal Medicine Ambulatory Podcast Series. In this podcast, we will talk about the primary care of the transgender patients. This is a topic in which physicians do not feel as comfortable to treat patients. First, let's discuss some definitions. What is cisgender? The term cisgender refers to the individuals whose gender identity is the same as their assigned gender at birth. What is transgender? This term refers to individuals whose experienced or expressed gender is different from the gender assigned to them at birth. The short version, trans, is sometimes used to describe transgender patients. Transgender individuals may identify themselves as male, female, neither sex, or a combination of both. Transgender individuals who are assigned as male at birth but identify as female are referred to transgender females or trans women. In the same way, those assigned females at birth but identified as males are referred to transgender males or trans men. How can we refer to those individuals who do not identify as males or females? In this situation, respectful terms are gender diverse or non-binary. Other terms developed by individuals in this category include gender fluid, gender queer, gender creative, pangender, two spirit, and transfeminine or transmasculine. It is important to inquire in a non-judgmental and open manner about the preferred way that they prefer to be addressed. Now, something important to be mentioned is the term gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is a mental health condition in which individuals suffer psychological stress due to the lack of congruence between their gender identity and the gender assigned at birth. This affects patients on multiple levels and becomes a serious issue. This is pathological and requires mental health support and treatment. Importantly, we must understand that transgender is not considered a mental health issue. Not all transgender individuals suffer from gender dysphoria. What are the implications and barriers to the medical care of transgender individuals? There are multiple harms that these individuals can be exposed to. They can go from microaggressions, subtle discrimination, to very overt and even violent harassment or discrimination. Stigmatization occurs frequently from both other people and also institutions. Transgender patients can suffer from all of these harms and this affects them both in the short and long term with severe consequences. It is crucial to be mindful that perpetrators of these harms sometimes are not aware that they are doing them. Learning about this topic and getting familiar with it can help both our transgender patients and ourselves feel more comfortable and happy with this topic. As mentioned before, discrimination comes even from institutional levels. For example, the 2015 National Transgender Survey demonstrated high rates of discrimination in employment, housing, education, public accommodations, and healthcare settings. Transgender patients continue to have negative experience in the healthcare settings, such as verbal discrimination or harassment, refusal of treatment, the lack of understanding and proficiency of their providers in transgender medicine, among others. These patients stop going to their medical appointments due to fear or previous negative experiences. Therefore, educating ourselves on this topic is really important.
it will not only help our patients, but we will feel more comfortable and happy to be able to serve our transgender patients in an adequate manner. There are other barriers such as economic, legal, and much more. One example to mention is that transgender patients are more likely to be uninsured. Let's discuss the concept of cultural humility. Cultural humility is an interesting topic. It refers to the understanding that the experiences or identities that one individual has may not project onto the experiences or identities of others. Having a non-judgmental and open mind is key, and taking the time to listen and comprehend our patient's preferences is critical. Each individual is different, and the preferences for terminology, complex or noble gender identities, and different desires for gender-affirming treatments may differ drastically. Now, let's talk about pronouns. As healthcare providers, it is really important to avoid making assumptions regarding a patient's preferred pronouns. Instead, we can ask questions such as what pronouns do you prefer me to use to address you? Another interesting concept is gender-neutral language. This is a skill that needs education and practice, and we suggest you become familiar with it. Individuals and institutions require the appropriate training and practice in the fight for equity for our transgender patients. More interventions are needed for institutions as well as providing adequate space, for example, gender-neutral bathrooms, EMR and documentation inclusiveness, inclusive forms for gender options and pronouns, and so much more. As a lover of the EMRs, I can caution of using smart phrases and other templates that sometimes pre-filled pronouns, since the pronouns may not be adequate for the patient's preferences and it can be offensive. An adjustment to meet all of our patient's needs is required. Finally, let's discuss gender-affirming therapies. First, we can cover gender-affirming hormonal therapy. The goal of this option is to help better align a patient's physical appearance with their gender identity and alleviate the symptoms of gender dysphoria. It improves psychological function and quality of life. We should discuss the timing of therapy with realistic expectations and covering side effects of the therapy. Usually when transgender individuals strongly identify as male or female, treatment tends to be more straightforward. Non-binary individuals may not think in terms of masculinizing or feminizing, but rather about changes in appearance that match their particular gender identity. Counseling is another important part of therapy. It includes behavioral, reproductive, and other medical aspects of their care. Informed consent is crucial and plays a significant role in this setting, particularly in regards to the risks and benefits of the interventions that we offer. The gender-affirming hormonal therapy can take years to show significant effects and is something that our patients should understand as well. Now let's cover the management of both transgender women and transgender men. Let's start with the management of transgender women. For adults, prior effects of androgens on the skeleton are not reversible. For example, height, size of the hands, size and shape of the jaw, size of the feet, and others. The laryngeal prominence and deepening of the voice will remain unchanged as well. The response is certainly different from patient to patient too, and this is something that they should know, especially when they are trying to compare to their peers. 
Therapeutic options include anti-androgen therapies such as spironolactone or ciprotherone acetate or CAP, or GnRH agonists, which are usually combined with estrogen therapy. The most important risk associated with estrogen therapy is VTE or venous thromboembolism. Transgender women should receive monitoring of hormonal therapy to avoid supraphysiologic serum estradiol or E2 concentrations. For example, we should maintain E2 levels below 200 picograms per ml and serum testosterone levels that reach normal levels in the normal female range. We should also monitor potassium levels if our patients are using potassium sperm agents. Transgender women should follow the same screening guidelines for breast cancer as for non-transgender women. The Endocrine Society recommends screening to follow the current guidelines for all tissues that are present. For example, if a patient has a prostate, we should follow the prostate cancer screening guidelines. Gender affirmative surgeries can be considered after living one year in the desired gender role and after one year of continuous hormone therapy unless there is a contraindication to that therapy. This criteria applies in general for genital surgeries, but not necessarily for other procedures such as chest reconstruction. Next, let's move on to the management of transgender males. Treatment is mostly done with testosterone esters administered intramuscularly or subcutaneously or gels depending on the patient's preferences. If a mastectomy was done, screening for breast cancer is not required. As we mentioned before, screening is recommended for all present tissues. Monitoring of patients receiving testosterone should mostly be done to evaluate erythrocytosis and dyslipidemia. However, other side effects include weight gain, balding, and increased risk for cardiovascular disease. Although they are not as popular as chest reconstruction surgeries, Gender affirmation genital and gonad removing surgeries can be considered after living one year in the desired gender role and after one year of continuous hormone therapy, unless there is a contraindication as mentioned previously. This criterion is specific to genital and gonad removing surgeries, but not to other procedures. Again, the same example that we had before, such as the chest reconstructive surgery. Transgender medicine is fascinating and is becoming more popular. It is crucial for physicians and other healthcare providers to become familiar with it. Hopefully, as we continue to educate ourselves in this area, our transgender patients will receive more and more of the care and the treatment they deserve. Thank you for listening. Please follow us in Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. We will see you in our next episode. Goodbye.